Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Today on your way here, you may not have recognized this, but you were being observed and scrutinized and surveillance was taking place. So whether it was a traffic cam when you were in town or perhaps a camera that's in your village or town because sometimes they're placed in strategic places so that the officers can see things that are going on in places where there might be some difficulties. If you stopped for a quick coffee when you walked in, there was a cam observing you. As you came into our sanctuary and walked from the back parking lot to here, there was cameras observing you. All of these things are taking place. Within your own home, if you know Amazon Echo or Alexa, some of us are familiar with that, that is a device that sits in many homes and it listens to you. And if you say, Alexa, do such and such, I hope it doesn't do anything right now. But if you say that, it will do what you've requested it to do. So it's waiting for a key word for you to say, but the key thing here to remember is it's always listening, always listening. So that's just a little brief overview of what's occurring each and every day. And you know what's happened? We've become very accustomed to that. We don't even think twice about it because it's just part of our life. Some of you may or not be familiar with this, but I, there are certain TV programs that I really enjoy. And several years ago, following 9-11, there was a program that came out. It was called Person of Interest. And essentially, it was about this special ops guy. His name was John Reese. And about this very wealthy, wealthy man. His name was Harold Finch. And he had developed this machine. And that machine was tied into all of the cameras and all of the surveillance stuff that was throughout the city and throughout the country. And those cameras would be surveilling people and because of the device that, Harold, that Mr. Finch had created, he was able to identify certain people via algorithms that would identify people who might be in danger. People who, and with that being said, if he identified somebody that would be in danger, he would have John Reese, who was a special ops guy, follow these individuals and try to protect them from harm. And so that's part of this whole culture that we've come up in. So that was, I think it ran for about five years, but it was fascinating to me because as you watch the program unfold, it became apparent that I'm being viewed in so many different ways that I never even thought about. And so what I'm pressing on you right now is that's occurring each and every day, each and every moment that you're out and about. You have these devices in your home that are monitoring to you to some degree. So you're being scrutinized very, very carefully. But today, we're going to be dealing, dealing, dipping into, rather, Psalm 139, which is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. If you have never really read it or really pursued it in depth, I encourage you to do that, to read it thoroughly. It's only 24 verses. There is such depth in it and such meaning and such, such encouragement as you read it um, that hopefully, there's another one for you, hon that hopefully it'll, it'll mean something to you. So I'm gonna try to unpack that today as best I can. And as I go through this, I've asked Micah to be up here with me. And Micah will be going through some of the scriptures that I'm going to read. I'm gonna be doing it basically in sections because each section speaks to a certain aspect of what I would like to convey. So beginning with this, and I hope you get a little understanding of what I'm trying to say here. Uh, let's see. I need this, I guess have to push the right button. And one more. So there you are. It's not coming out as well as I had hoped. It says you are known, which you can see, but below that it's Psalm 139 verses one through 24. Specifically picked this particular picture because I wanted to represent God's hand holding us as we are just newborns and he's just formed us in our mother's womb. We've come out of the womb and God's got us in his hand. So I'm gonna ask Micah in a short while 
to read these verses. But before he does that, here's another aspect of our lives. And some of you who are more technologically advanced may understand what that says. It says CEO, or SEO rather. And that stands for search engine optimization. And then there's a lot of different things that it's showing there. It's showing different um, key words that refer to what a search engine can do for us. So we have become accustomed to be able to plug in one or two words and then this search engine optimization kicks in and it hones down on what you want to identify or what you want to study and it brings that forward. So we're going to do a search engine optimization today but we're going to be scrutinizing God's word and seeing as we use these key phrases and these verses and see what it speaks to us. So I'm going to ask you, please, Micah, to read the first six verses, if you might. Psalm 139, 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Right off the bat, you need to understand this was a psalm of David. And in your Bibles, if you read your Bibles, and if you look through them, oftentimes on Psalms, there's little headings prior to it being read. This particular one is a Psalm of David and is devoted and specifically directed to the chief musician of the temple. There are some, um, there are some theologians and commentaries that would suggest that this chief musician that he speaks of originally would be God himself, but it could very well be also the chief musician of the temple and David directed him that this would be something that would be sung within the temple. So it's, it starts off with David really understanding or grasping to some degree how awesome God is. He, he's trying to put it all together and at this point in time, he's just recognized that there's something about God that he just has to cry out about it. And he starts off in that very first verse, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. That one single verse alone speaks to the intimate knowledge that God has of us. Lord, God, has searched me, David, and known me. That denotes something very, very personal, very, very intimate. This is the God of the universe that is beyond our comprehension, searching this one individual, and as he searches this individual, he knows him. And once God searches you and knows you, he never forgets what he's come to know about you. So you can be assured for the very moment that you were conceived till the very day you leave to go to glory, God will know every aspect of your life. He will continue to search you and know you, and he will know you intimately. So that's David's cry as he starts this psalm, this song that he wants to just raise to the Lord in adoration and in and gratitude and thankfulness for who this God is. The second verse says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. In the Hebrew context, when it speaks about sitting down and rising up, that indicates that God knows everything about this from the moment the person stands up to when he sits down. There's nothing that escapes God's attention. As you go through your everyday life, walking out the door, sitting in your car, going to sleep, making a meal, God's there. He knows you when you're doing that. He knows you when you're sitting down and resting. He knows you when you rise up to go and do something through all of that. And the interesting thing, following that, knowing you that well, following that very beginning of that particular verse, you discern my thoughts from afar. If you've never really dove into this before, you discern my thoughts from afar. This is what it's saying. God knows your thoughts before you even know them. Before you even have a thought forming in your mind, God already knows that thought. 
right there, those two verses are enough to stop and just contemplate and just be encouraged and pray, just that alone, because that's how well God knows us. He knows our thoughts. It also should give us reason to pause and consider that God does know us that well, even those things that we don't reveal to others, even the ones that we love dearly. It goes on to say, you might have to read that last one for me. The third verse, please. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. This again is just a continuation of what was in verse two. So God knows the direction you're going and he knows where your path is. You search out my path. There are times in our lives as we go forward when we do kind of stray off that path, don't we? God knows that. If we stay on the path, God knows that. If we stop for a moment on a path, God knows it. He knows us when we just rest and we're lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Grasp the significance of that. He knows all your ways. There's nothing in your life, in your mind, that escapes God's attention. Not one thing. That's how well and intimate he knows us. This is far better than any surveillance this world has to offer because it's deep, but it's intimate because it's God and him talking and conversing and David realizing the depth of the love and the care that God has for him. Let's try this. Whoops. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. These verses, as you go through them one by one, I was struck. I, I do my devotions, I read my Bible, but when I have to prepare for a sermon, I have to dig a whole lot deeper. And trust me, it, it's, it's, it's something that causes me trepidation sometimes because I'm doing something that sometimes I feel, am I really suited for this? But yet God's called me to this place to do this on occasion. But when I read things like this, it just reaches deep into me. It, right here, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Do you know what that's saying? You might better choose your words carefully. Even your thoughts, God knows them all together. There's not a thought that's escaping his attention. There's not a word that you're going to utter that he is not aware of. There's not a word that you haven't even formed yet that he's not aware of. And then, as we move along, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You hem me in behind and before. In antiquity, in days of old, in the Jewish nation, they would oftentimes grow these thickets and these hedges that had thorns and so forth in them. They would surround orchards and things of that nature, any agricultural stuff, to keep out predators. So that's this picture when it says you hem me in. It's this idea of a, a hedge around you. And oftentimes when we think about a hedge, we might think, well, it's confining us and it's keeping us where we don't want to be necessarily. But this picture is God hemming us in all around us, protecting us, keeping us safe from all that the world would throw at us. That should give you comfort it should encourage you to know that God is taking this action for you. Each and every one of you is hedged in and hemmed in by God. And then David, at this point, and we're only six verses in, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and cannot attain it. We can't comprehend the depth of God knowing us so intimately. It's beyond our comprehension. We will never be able to attain that. And, and right now, as David's gone through this and he's contemplating what God's doing, the intimate relationship he has, at this moment in time, he just has to explode and says, you know, it's so big and so huge. It's so wonderful, but I can't even contain it. It's too high for me. Would you read the next verses, please? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. 
Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Some of you may be familiar with what is up on a screen now. It's kind of a little thing I thought I'd throw up there just to kind of lighten it a little bit. Because what we've been dealing with so far is kind of heavy. It's overwhelming. It's not bad, but it's a lot to take in and to grasp. That's the thing of where's Wild, though. And I'm not going to tell you where he is in that picture. But the whole idea is, where could I go from your spirit? So that very first verse now, following the six that we've just gone through, talking about God's intimate knowledge, caring for us, knowing our thoughts, knowing what we're going to speak, hedging us in. Now it's David recognizing, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I free from your presence? Theologically, what we're, st- we're, we're speaking about here is omnipresence and omni. Omniscience, omniscience, (laughs) I'm trying to say. It's when God is all-knowing and all all around us. So that would be more for anybody that's secular to understand that God is everywhere. So David is recognizing by these verses here as he cries out and has this conversation and he's speaking to the Lord God, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I go flee from your presence? And it's really like, where shall I go? Where shall I flee? recognizing he can't get away from God because God is everywhere. And he, he, he plays that out a little bit further so you really understand. And, and he's just running this over in his head. And he, he goes on to say, if I had sent to heaven, you are there. When of course we know if we're in heaven, if we're going to heaven, God's glory is displayed there. So if he was to go up to heaven, God's already there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Well, Sheol is a Jewish word as well, and it is translated more likely to be the grave as opposed to hell, but some translations do say if I make my bed in hell. The same idea is that if we were in a grave, so to speak, you were there. Heaven, hell. God's there. Do we not often kind of go over that one? Do we maybe think, you know, when we think about heaven and hell, the, the world has caused us to make light of heaven and hell. We get this idea that heaven's this little guy with horns and red and fire and so forth. Hell is a place where you're separated from God eternally. That's what hell is. But do we ever think about hell and God being present in hell? Well, the reason you would consider that and understand that is because we've just said God is everywhere. So if God is everywhere, wouldn't it make sense that he's also going to be in hell? There's no place you can escape God. He is everywhere. The God who made the universe that created all the stuff that we can't even see it, it's probably still expanding, that God intimately knows each and every one of us and there's not one place in heaven or hell where we can escape his presence because he is there. And then David goes on to say, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, when he talks about the wings of the morning, he's talking about light, that first ray of light as the sun breaks over the horizon. And as that first sun ray breaks out, it just, it flies across the sky. The light is just, boom, it's there. We know that light, the the speed of light is, is quite significant. And he is saying, if I take the wings of the morning, if I was riding that, that bolt of light that's going out right now, or if I dwelled in the uttermost parts of the sea, the very depths of the sea, and in some places the sea is very, very deep. We don't even know the extent of it. But either place, he still can't outrun God's presence. And he's taking all this in and he's contemplating and he's, he's, he's speaking to the Lord and he's just getting overwhelmed by this. Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So we just talked about God's presence everywhere. God in heaven, God in hell, depths of the earth, flying light, light. And now, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Doesn't that give you a picture of somebody, not only that knows you intimately, but is taking the time to have his hand on you? to guide you along, take you by the hand, lead you to where you need to be, if we allow him, lead you where you need to be, and his right hand will hold us. That strong, righteous right hand, Isaiah 40.10, 41.10, speaks of that righteous right hand. That righteous right hand is holding you. It's on your shoulder, it's embracing you. God the Father is drawing you in. That's not a picture of being scared. That's not somebody that's trying to subdue you or hold you back. That's a God who cares about you, has his hands on you. 
You can't escape him, and it's not anything to be afraid of. It's something to embrace and recognize how great this God is. Even if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be light, night, even the darkness is not too dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Nighttime, when many people who don't have the right motives do their dastardly deeds, they do it under cover of darkness. They do it in places where they're kind of hidden. They do it thinking, if I do this this way, I can't be seen. They don't understand who our God is. They just don't understand it. This scripture right now, these verses are saying to us that even the darkness, the deepest, darkest night you can ever imagine is as bright as day to God. It's illuminated by God. Many years ago, Linda and I were out in Las Vegas, Nevada. We were going to visit a friend across the border and we had to cross the desert. When we went across the desert to visit a friend, it was daytime. So of course you see all the, all the vegetation that's there and you know, it's, it's kind of a stark landscape, but you see all of that. On the way back home, when we were coming back through that same portion of land, it was pitch black. I've never seen such darkness. No light to be seen anywhere except if you looked up above. And I said to Linda, I said, honey, don't, don't be concerned. I'm going to stop the car for a moment. We're going to open the door and we're going to just step out. And so with that being said, I stopped the car. We got out of the car and looked up. The majesty of God was displayed. It was pitch dark. You could hear the rustling of the wind across there. But it was pitch dark. And I want to tell you that if God was there at that moment, which he was because we're believers, that that would be illuminated to him. You cannot hide that from God. So when people do things in the cover of darkness, when we, myself included, do these things that are sinful and are opposing to God, and we know it's opposing to God, God sees it, he knows it, it's illuminated. Don't let that frighten you. Let that encourage you, not only to watch what you say, to watch what you think, but to also to watch what you do. We here are tasked with being a reflection of who God is. We are his hands and feet. We did that Tuesday night when the kids came through here. We do that when we reach out into the community. We're hands and feet. We need to reflect who God is. But in this case, it's saying that even the darkness can't cover that up. Would you read the next ones, please? For you formed me, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Just pause on this for a moment. For you formed my inward parts. You knit together in my mother's womb. We all know that. But there's so much more beyond that. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, which is speaking, of course, being in the mother's womb. If you don't understand that analogy, that's that way that it's speaking of. That is an incredible thing to think about. This conception, this idea of two cells coming together and as they come together, they expand more and more and more. You may be interested to know that if your DNA was stretched out, it would be six feet long. The DNA that you have within your body is incredible. In fact, when your eyes are being formed in the womb, there's a million cells here and a million cells here for that optical nerve. And those million and million have to come together perfectly to join and meld together 
to be able to form that eye so that you can see clearly when you're born. Not only do they have to come together, but there is skin that's over your eye at the time. So you have these, these, these they're coming together, these nerve endings are coming together. There's skin over the eye, and there is a, for lack of a better word, there's part of one of these cells, I can't describe the name of it, but there's a cell that comes across that eyelid and perfectly slices that skin that's across your eye so that at the moment of conception, when you are, not the moment of conception, but at the moment of birth, when that baby opens their eyes, they'll be able to see. That's just one, one miracle. Your body is a walking miracle. In fact, I wanted to share something, and I think this would be appropriate time to share it as we go and talk about a little bit about the, uh, this, this miracle of birth which, by the way, we didn't experience that. We experienced it not too long ago because Jason's right back there holding a precious child. So there you go. So Augustine, who was a Christian philosopher, he said this, and I thought it was so appropriate as we contemplate what I'm talking about today. Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. God has formed each and every one of us in our own special time to be who we are together to today. We're fearfully and wonderfully made he, in the middle of this particular section of scripture, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. He's receiving the idea that God has been involved, not only knowing what he's spoken about thus far, but now as he contemplates his beginning, he's just overwhelmed again that this is what God's done for him. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He's almost speaking like a biologist here, like somebody who understands the anatomy of a human body, and he was not a scientist. He was a shepherd. He was a hero when he defeated Goliath. He became a king. He certainly was not a, a, a scientist, but yet right here, he's describing, as we go forward, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do you catch that? Before before you were even born, before you were even thought about, before you were formed in your mother's womb, he had already recorded in his book who you were going to be, who you are. It just blows my mind. It's just overwhelming. And, and David, and perhaps maybe you're getting a sense of this, I hope, David now is just exclaiming, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sands I awaken and still with you. Catch that one now. He's, he's thinking about God's thoughts about him because God, he's now directing this conversation is really about him and God, how God's relating to him. God's thinking about him and he's just become overwhelmed with this idea that the thoughts that God has for him are more than the grains of sand. Catch this, more than the grains of sand. So you guys can take time if you want to and go out on a beach, and if you really want to try, you can pick up sand and you could try counting it, which you'll never accomplish. And even if you could do that, God's thoughts of you are more, more than that. Overwhelming, unbelievable, God and you. And it also goes on to say, I awake and I'm still with you. That's simply saying that as all of us, we go to bed at night, and I trust oftentimes as we're getting ready for bed, laying next to our loved one or whatever the case might be, that we're perhaps maybe giving a little thought about what God's done for us that day. We may or may not do it, but it's not a bad habit to get into. And so we go to sleep and we drift off and we have our dreams, and then we awake in the morning, and it's not like we begin this conversation all over again because that it says, I awake and I am still with you. So when you wake up and your eyes first open and you're kind of rolling out of bed, God's already there with you. Do you get this? It's unbelievable. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. 
O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That's a pretty big shift. All that we've been talking about right now, and I purposely put that up there. You can see it says love, hate. And in those verses now, we're talking about hate. Doesn't God call us to love our enemies? Doesn't God call us to love those around us? This is what David's saying now. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. David, on behalf of God, which he doesn't have to do it for God, but he's highly offended with these people that are around him, perhaps in his court, the people that he knows. He wants God to take them, remove them from his sight. He does not want to be in the presence of those who slander God, those who speak ill of God, those who don't recognize who God is. And so his cry is, just take him away, God. Men of, he's telling these guys, just depart from me. Get out of my sight. I don't want to see you. And then, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Whoa, whoa. We've gone through all of this, and now this heavy stuff is being dropped on us. He's, he, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Well, it's not like he's saying what you might interpret from that, but he's saying, I hate them because they have done this to you. They hate you. And isn't it right for me to loathe them, to be against them? And it says, I, complete, I hate them with complete hatred, which sounds really dark and oppressive, but it's just this deep passion on David's part and hopefully on our part that when we're in the presence of sin, when, even in our own lives, that we should have that, that idea within us, that compulsion within us to just say, away from us. I don't want to be associated with this sin. I don't want to be associated with this darkness. And so that complete hatred is a hatred of the, the sin itself. Because God, this is an old cliche, love the sinner, hate the sin. But that's true. So we know those who are struggling. We know those who are in a world who are not on the right path. We're still called to love them, but we do not have to love their actions. And a lot of times the way that we can combat that with people that we know specifically that are dealing with this, is to love them. To not judge them because it's easy as Christians in the church, we can look out in the world and we can criticize and we can say this or that about folks, but we're called to love them because they don't know. What did Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's the world out there. So this is this whole thing. David's talked about this intimate relationship God knows his words and his thoughts before he speaks them. God knitted him together in his mother's womb. God knows every facet of his life before he was even formed. He was written in a book of life. God knows everything about him. That alone right now at this moment in time should overwhelm you. And if it doesn't, go home, sit in a quiet place and read this over and over until it pierces your heart and your soul and you know what this is saying to you. So David doesn't stop there please. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. This can often be considered a prayer, but I dare say it's a dangerous prayer, don't you think? We're calling on God Almighty, and David's calling on God Almighty, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Do you want to be scrutinized like that? Do you want to pray that prayer? I would encourage you to do it. But be ready for this. If you pray that prayer sincerely, if you cry out and you pour your heart out to God, he'll hear your prayer. He'll try you, and he'll know your thoughts. He'll search your heart. And if there's anything within your life that needs to be revealed, he'll reveal it. I will tell you this much. God in his mercy and love for you 
will not dump all it out on you one time because if he actually revealed all the things that are in our hearts that we don't speak about to our loved ones and to those around us that we keep deep inside of us, myself included, if God was to reveal all of that at one time, we would be overwhelmed with what we have inside of us. So God might take one or two things and all of a sudden it'll come into your mind and you'll say, yeah, you know, that is something that I've been struggling with that I need to, to deal with, I need to correct. So he'll let you deal with those, those things that he reveals to you, maybe one or two. And so you'll deal with them because you've, been rev- you've prayed, God's revealed it to you. And so you'll be dealing with that. And then you're kind of like, okay, I'll set. And then you pray it again. And then God shows you a few more things. And you go through the same method of understanding it, really being sorry for it, repenting, and reconnecting with God. But he will do that for you. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to life everlasting. So the final part of what this is saying to us is that as God reveals to us what we need to know, as he opened up our hearts and we've called him in and we've asked him to search us, as we understood the depth of his love for us, the the thoughts that we can't even count because of his love for us, with that in mind and as we believe and trust in the cross of Christ and what he accomplished for us, we are on a path to glory, to be with him eternally because he loves us that much and what we will experience in heaven is far more than we could even imagine here but when we're there with God, all the things of this earth will pass away and we will relish and revel in what God has done for us. We will rejoice and worship and honor him forever and ever. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.
Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.